Привіт. Hello. How are you? I'm all right. How are you? Um, I'm uh, I'm tense uh, because you know, especially for those uh, folks listening us live, really want to encourage you to follow events in Lysychansk, in Severodonetsk, and across all Eastern Ukraine, where Russia now, as we speak, methodically erasing Ukrainian cities and villages. And the footage from there is absolutely apocalyptic and also a powerful reminder that genocide in Ukraine has been getting, unfortunately, only worse in recent weeks. Yeah. That's why it's another reminder why Ukraine needs uh, more arms and more support. Um, definitely not what we've uh, already received, which is like, I think, less than 10% of what we ask for. Yeah. And also, I I know yesterday, I don't know why I was couldn't sleep for the longest of times until like three in the morning. And I was just seeing that loads of Ukrainians were also like up and about. And I saw a post by one of the Kiev independent reporters. And it just said like, it was a map of Eastern Ukraine and just a note that said like, this is not good for us. And I just, yeah, after that, it was very hard to go back to trying to go to sleep but I think as Maxim says Eastern Ukraine right now is so crucial for us to keep talking about and flagging because for I've even heard some people also be like oh but you know like Kiev is fine now right like like parts of Ukraine are okay now right and it's like yes but what people don't realize is that so many of our friends our family um, and everyone who has joined the army of Ukraine has been fully now basically not fully, but a lot of them have been moved to eastern Ukraine where the re- the big battle is happening right now that is so yeah. crucial for us. Um, and uh, a big hello and the biggest hug ever to our sponsors from our Patreon page. This show is 100% independent, volunteer and listener supported and wouldn't be possible to keep doing these broadcasts and uh, doing these uh, podcasts without your guys' help. So thank you so much. Uh, you just check if you're not our sponsor. Check our Patreon uh, page. It has the same name, Ukrainian Spaces Together. And if you become our sponsor, it's not a charity. You get so much cool stuff on our Patreon page and extra bonus content. But most importantly, during our live shows, you have a front seat and you can ask our uh Uh, questions our featured Ukrainians at any point before or during so please do that we always love to uh, you know give you that front seat uh, for your support and solidarity so I think that's it Um, Valeria if you don't mind I'll start our show uh, maybe today with sharing a bit of personal family story I've never shared before if you don't mind of course I would I would never mind (laughs) Well, I also think it's a good occasion because today, June 22nd, uh, on 1941, Nazis broke the colonial pact with communist Russia and invaded it. And my father's dad uh, served actually with the Red Army in tank troops. And when the Red Army started pushing back Nazis several years after that, back to the West, he participated in one of the largest tank battles in uh, Western Ukraine. And you know, even back then, Russians loved to send Ukrainians ahead and use them as battle meat, uh, hiding behind their backs. So, of course, he was like on the front line, on the very, very front line. And uh, that's, you know, why there are so many Ukrainians died in the World War II, much more than Russians, actually much more than any other nation in Europe lost to this war. So uh, my grandpa's tank gets hit. The rest of the unit thinks he's dead. They leave him behind. And out of nowhere, Ukrainian resistance fighters appear, uh, several actually. And uh, at the time, they would fight both Russian and German occupations. So they take him in, they help him to recover and nurture back him to life in a resistance camp. And then they just let him go to rejoin his Red Army unit, the, the same army that was mass murdering Ukrainian resistance fighters. And here's the most interesting thing about it. My granddad spoke Ukrainian, but he not necessarily looked like one. He was a Romani Ukrainian, which, you know, had much darker skin than an average Ukrainian back then. 
and he faced a lot of racist shit because of it and he never liked to talk about his roots but i think this whole story of his rescue makes me think now that even back then decades ago ukrainian folks already understood the diversity of the ukrainian identity and looked at it more like a political nation kind of thing the way we look at it that did now Um, yeah, so I'm open about my mixed background, Georgian, mixed Asian, fraction of Roma, coming to my Ukrainian identity uh, through definitely a conscious choice. It was a journey. And only recently, all these overlapping identity puzzles clicked into full harmony and, you know, what I feel and think uh, to be Ukrainian means So that's why it was so important to make sure this conversation today happens. To honor my late grandpa, who have never had the chance to manifest his Roma identity, and to honor the diversity of Ukraine that fights for the survival. And I think this is a perfect moment to introduce our featured Ukrainian today. Um, yeah, uh, Nat Natalie, are you with us? Please. Yes, hello. Hey. hello everyone. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah, we can hear you. Thank you so much for joining us. And first and foremost, wanted to um, let you to introduce yourself. It's our golden rule. So what's your name, uh, where you come from, and what your life has been like in recent uh, four months? Yeah, it's been four months. So go ahead, please. Thank you, Maxim. And first of all, thank you so much for invitation and be a part of uh, Ukrainian spaces. It's such an honor for me. And uh, first of all, also, I wanted to introduce myself. I'm Natalie Tomenko. I'm coming from a central part of Ukraine. Uh, can you hear me well? Because I'm yeah, yeah, like, go ahead. Uh, Uh, and um, I flee Ukraine with a part of my family on the 10th day of the war. Mm, well, when the war started on 24th of February, I've been at my hometown, on central part of Ukraine, Poltava region, and uh, everything seems to be okay until that time. But then in one night, yeah, the, the life totally changed. And uh, we were living um, under horrible conditions uh, during ho all the 10 days. And every day we were thinking what to do because uh, we were hearing everything what was going around. Um, I mean, the military equipment and we were hiding in basement and etc. etc. And it was really scary because uh, we also have in our family kids. It's my niece, uh, and she's two years old, and my sister, she's 12. And we were most of all scared because of them. And then we were thinking around three days uh, where to go, how, how to make our roads uh, safer. And then we decided that we are going uh, on the western part of Ukraine and then crossing the border and moving to Hungary. That's what we did. And we were traveling uh, around 40 hours uh, from central part of Ukraine uh, to Uzhgorod. The way was uh, <laughs> really terrible and uh, the most difficult in my life. Uh, but uh, we did it. Uh, and uh, my father was uh, really in a bad health condition. And this road uh, took a few years of his life for sure. Uh, I never saw that many cars on the road, uh, military equipment, uh, and people in panic. Uh, but we managed to uh, cross the border at night by feet, with kids on our hands. Uh, volunteers were helping us with our bags. And uh, on the other side of the border, my friend from Hungary with her husband uh, were waiting for us, and they took us to their home. Then we spent a while uh, in their house, uh, around four or five days. And then we moved uh, to a dormitory of uh, Central European University in where I was uh, studying previously. So they hosted us and provided accommodation. And in Budapest, we spent around three or four weeks. And uh, 
It was uh, difficult times because kids uh, were trying to adopt to new circumstances and environment. And my sister-in-law, uh, she never was abroad, so for her everything was new and super traumatic, I would say. Mm -hmm. And kids also got sick uh, from time to time. And yeah, it was um, such an incredible experience and I would never experience it again. And then after four weeks, uh, we decided to move to Austria because uh, the time came to register and we found out that the circumstances and um, what Hungary is uh, providing for Ukrainians, um, it's not the best for us. And also we know that in Hungary is a there is a big uh, uh, discrimination against Roma people and yeah. we decided that Austria is a, is a better choice. That's why we went there and so far we are staying here in Vienna with my family. Well, there are, you know, approximately uh, 400,000 uh, Roma Ukrainians uh, that used to live in Ukraine before uh, genocide started. And of course, many, like many of it, used to live in Ukraine before uh, genocide started. And of course, many, like many other Ukrainians, they uh, were displaced and had to find a new home and they were traveling as you know as you and your family to the west and this is something that unfortunately where a lot of we see um you know double um, double standards of treating refugees with uh, from ukraine that ukrainians that have darker skin um, would be treated differently and i saw it myself in so many ways in uh, refugee camps and centers in Warsaw and in Prague, where, for example, Roma Ukrainians or Ukrainians with darker skin would be treated completely differently um, when it comes to, um, you know, offering them help and stuff like that. So can you talk just a bit uh, about the challenges that uh, Roma Ukrainians and Ukrainians uh, with darker skin face when they try to find and seek refuge in uh, in uh, European Union at the moment? Yeah, sure. Uh, well, I can start with my personal experience. A lot of people asking me whether I face the discrimination on the border. And I'm always answering that, unfortunately uh, not, uh, due to the fact that uh, I'm being privileged uh, if we are talking in terms of uh, color of skin, so uh, I, I'm being uh, light skin, and uh, all of my family members, and uh, it somehow made us invisible on the border, and no one could recognize that we are Roma. Uh, that's why we didn't face with any difficulties, uh, even though because of the kids, uh, everyone was really nice to us. Uh, but I know that a lot of my relatives and friends who has visible features of Roma identity as skin, and they talk Romani language, and they cross the border in uh, groups of relatives. Uh, so it's, uh, it's, it's really visible. And those people were denied to get uh, the same uh, uh, facilities as others. So there are examples in Moldova when Roma people were put in the most horrific shelters, and uh, it was made some kind of segregation in there. So all Roma were put uh, in uh, accommodation with, with lack of food and water. And uh, there was one photographer who made uh, some projects there. And due to this publicity, the shelter was closed. And the Roma were transported to other uh, spaces. But we don't know how it went, whether those uh, new accommodations were better or not. And also there is a big uh, anti-gypsism. Anti-gypsism is a special form of discrimination against Roma people. Uh, so this uh, anti-gypsism is uh, very present right now in Czech Republic, unfortunately. Uh, a lot of uh, friends whom I know personally went there, uh, they were treated with uh, some kind of an unwillingness to help and uh, uh, Mm, yeah, in general, even before the war, we know that in Czech Republic, it was uh, very spread there. Uh, the anti-gypsism, and I have some uh, friends from Czech Republic who were telling me about some far-right group uh, uh, that are present there. So yeah. nowadays, for Roma, it's uh, complicated everywhere, but in these uh, countries, I would say, for now, the most as uh, human rights monitoring shows. 
Yeah, unfortunately, it always breaks my heart because when I see uh, Roma Ukrainians in, you know, especially in Czechia, how drastically different the treatment uh, by local authorities they face is uh, is just shocking for me, uh, but not unfortunately surprising. And not that the situation back in Ukraine uh, is was also has been also ideal. Uh, Roma Ukrainians still remain one of the most discriminated groups and minorities in the country. But I was wondering to ask you. I mean, during these four months, you emerged as this brilliant, young, passionate voice, uh, young voice for uh, Roma Ukrainians on international stage, you know, constantly, continuously talking about and amplifying stories of Roma Ukrainians everywhere, talking not only about the problems, but also the stories of defiance and perseverance and the stories of Roma Ukrainians fight back against Russian fascist invasion. So I was wondering to, you know, ask you how this even, you know, happened in your life that you decided that this is this is the time for you to step up and uh, become that voice. And as I understand, it's also, you know, related to your work with uh, ARCA, which is my favorite uh, organization of young uh, Roma Ukrainians. So can you enlighten us, enlighten us a bit more about that, please, as well? Yeah, sure, Maxim. So uh, I started my activist work uh, around five years ago and with my friends we started to organize different initiatives uh, in where Roma topics were raised, where we worked with youngsters and we started to work in non-formal education, uh, making training, seminars, abroad trips for youngsters in order to make this exchange, to educate them, to inspire them, to empower, to do something in this life and to open the possibilities which are somehow hidden for them. And uh, then we registered our organization in 2018. It's an agency of advocacy Roma culture in uh, Ukraine. Uh, so I started to work with the youngsters across whole Ukraine and also abroad. And uh, so the main goal uh, of the organization is uh, to make a positive presence of Ukrainian Roma community in a wide uh, information space by empowering its uh, youth leaders, uh, artists uh, and uh, media activists. Uh, and uh, we are not uh, proposing an exclusive Roma space, but rather advocate for the idea that we are Ukrainian Roma first and foremost an integral part uh, of the country's history and society. And when the war happened, we had to restructure everything. I mean, all the projects that were confirmed uh, were uh, or cancelled at all, or the funding that we got uh, were directed to humanitarian aid. So all money what we had, uh, we directed uh, to humanitarian aid, and we started to provide uh, financial support for Roma and non-Roma families who found themselves in a difficult situation due to hostilities in different parts of uh, Ukraine. Uh, people could buy for this money food, medicine, and uh, other basic uh, hygiene uh, items. Also, we were helping uh, with um, evacuation process of civilians, um, and uh, uh, majority it was uh, women and kids, and also some elderly uh, who survived mm. uh, uh, Roma genocide. And besides of that, we also were sending, uh, sending, uh, and still sending uh, some money and. Uh, uh, stuff to the front lines, uh, to our army, to our Roma uh, representatives and soldiers and also non-Roma who are in need and who just contacted us via some networks and asked for help. For example, we were collected money to buy a, a car uh, for Khtyrka region mm -hmm. uh, in where people could uh, um, deactivate uh, the bombs in the region because unfortunately they didn't have even equipment to do so. So people were doing it with uh, just uh, walking on feet uh, with hands and the hope that this car like, really saved someone's lives. And besides of them, yeah, like a lot of medicine was sent uh, there and uh, warm clothes and batteries and other, other stuff. Uh, but I wanted to, because I, I watched one of the your recent, um, you know, public appearances and you said one of the most, you know, powerful things for me that you mentioned that 
these days, especially young uh, Roma Ukrainians are, you know, in charge of helping community, but also because they have a bit more resources and they need to take care of the families, you know, which is basically the same for many young Ukrainians these days. We support our extended families, especially those who are still on the front line. But then you said also that it kind of empowers you also to speak out more about what it means to be Roma Ukrainian uh, these days and what what you fight for because a lot of Roma Ukrainians are also on the front line, you know, proudly uh, serving openly, you know, uh, not shying away from their identity. So for you these days, why is it, do you think it's important that the voices of Roma Ukrainians are amplified uh, during this genocide uh, even more so than usually? Yeah, thank you for the question. It's a really essential to talk about it, why it's important right now for Roma uh, representatives to stand up and talk, to not be silent, to not be afraid. And as a historian somehow, because I have cultural heritage background, I can give you some example from a past when during the Second World War, Roma were participating in the war, same like they are doing right now. They are like my grand, uh, grandfather also was there on the front lines. And there are a lot of, there were a lot of Roma who were participated, but somehow it was hidden. So this information was not uh, accessible for the majority of the society. And uh, all life till now, we're trying to prove that our ancestors were participating in the war, that they were not excluded, they were part uh, of the whole victory that, that happened. And uh, right now, I think, and all my team is ensured that we have to show, not in the 50 years, but right now, that we are actually the part of society, we were, we are, and we will be. And we stay shoulder by shoulder with Ukrainians because we live on this territory, we regard this territory as ours, and we, we, it's our neighbors, we, we are neighbors of, of their houses. So it, it's our land and we protect it. Doesn't matter what happened, you know, it's like in family, always happen some arguments between family members. Same, we know the situation that uh, Roma were living on in Ukraine for centuries, and the, uh, <laughs> the situation never was easy. Like they were repressed, yeah, yeah. But when something happens, like someone from outside would approach the family and touch some of the members, no, 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 no one is allowed to do it. So that's why now we are actually uniting. And later on, we will see how Roma will live in Ukraine. But right now, we are helping because it's our land as well. And yeah. is very simple as it seems to be and we people from Ukraine we know that uh, when you declare your identity there can be some consequences for sure but yeah just uh, the risk which person is taking on, on their own and they are responsible for this but uh, there are a lot of us and if all of us will not be afraid and we unite and we show ourselves that's the power and yeah. uh, i think it's good that there are some people like you like others uh, that can show that it, it, we we are here and uh, we are waiting for people like uh, us unite us not to stay yeah. aside uh, one of your my favorite quotes, I think it's uh, on Arca's Instagram, which you definitely need to, need to check because the organization is not so uh, active on Twitter, but has a fantastic Instagram with a lot of English language content as well. And in one of your speeches, you say this powerful phrase. I loved it uh, instantly. Roma Ukrainians too, people should be united now because the time has come for us to help each other. And there's like more to that speech but I just wanted to thank you because this is the first time when I 
probably heard something as powerful coming from Roma Ukrainian uh, marrying and emphasizing that Roma are Ukrainians the same way as any other Ukrainians of other identities are and they they must be heard and their stories must be amplified and um, I mean regarding this I really also loved uh, and this is something close to you as well you always mention uh, Roma Ukrainian women um, in in your talks and in your lectures and in your speeches and I wanted to ask you why do you think this is something that you're extra passionate about and what the rest uh, of the world and also Ukrainians get wrong about Romani women these days and especially during the uh, genocide. Yeah, Maxim, thank you uh, for the words you said about my speech previously and just to yeah mention that that speech really took uh, a lot of my energy and preparations because uh, I was uh, yeah really talking on the floor with the big diplomats and uh, my family members at those times uh, were not uh, okay with health and I was uh, really in tra- traumatic experience going through all the stuff and I was like really mad when someone stopped me and I was screaming and people somehow thought like uh, it's just so um emotional because she's Roma or she's woman and she's on her period or whatever oh. and I just wanted to and I just wanted to kick you I don't know just scream yeah and uh, but anyway the impact of that speech was uh, worth I've been participating in many of these trainings like conferences and public speeches and um, I was surprised that uh, in general society is not prepared uh, to talk with victims so like i can see that even in the circles of people who were working with the topics of second world war and uh, roma genocide jewish holocaust those people like from history they saw how the victims were treated and some kind they could assume how to speak with them but in reality what we see that nowadays is actually happening same shit i'm sorry for this route um, words but uh, but but society doesn't know how to communicate with people in actually fresh trauma so it, people didn't overcome it yet and when people come to me and say you are so emotional and it's some kind of emotional abuse like no one is allowed to tell this and uh, right now in the organization we establishing the ethics on how to talk with victims and for instance uh, with uh, uh, vulnerable groups as uh, Roma and women and uh, continuing with topic of women why I'm so passionate about women's rights in general because uh, I know how it's to grow up in a conservative circle my family for instance is also kind of uh, conservative Roma uh, who were making boundaries uh, in my childhood uh, and now I understand why it was happening so previously I was just feeling why I don't have access to all that stuff and why my friends can go out whenever they want and I cannot why why I'm so protected and just now I understand that the Roma through the history were repressed and um, from from the outside from the majority and somehow families became really close in order to save their beloved ones not uh, to allow someone to harm someone to uh, perform uh, anti-gypsism i don't know hate crimes or, or whatever Just now I understand it, but in my childhood I didn't. And uh, since the childhood I was very resistant about my rights, about rights of my cousins, like especially women, that we are part of the family, society, that we can do a lot in this life. And um, yeah, it just helped me and uh, to resist and actually changed my life. So I achieved something, I graduated from one second university third, and uh, I, I became um, internationally visible. I, I got a lot of international Roma friends 
And when I came to the Central European University with the circle of uh, Roma representatives from different uh, parts of the world, I understood how it's essential to have this resistance and be in a circle of peers with the same uh, uh, aims uh, in life. Yeah, and I uh, started to be friends with uh, a lot of uh, Roma women there. And some of them were studying on gender studies. And we were having like really very um, interesting topics on how women rights should be uh, today's uh, raised and how especially Roma women rights uh, should be expressed. Because it's a bit different and being a vulnerable group and be, um, following um, traditions and also the whole concept of Roma identity is a big question. What does it mean to be Roma? And for everyone, it's it's, it's very difficult uh, to answer. And it's very different from there because you know that in Ukraine there are 15 Roma groups and each group is, a group is different by uh, dialect, uh, by location where they live, traditions, religion and uh, values. Uh, circles, style of life. So everything is super different and for everyone to be a Roma is something their own. I regard my identity of being a Roma, being Ukrainian, being a woman, being an artist and historian and uh, there are really a lot of implications and it's changing through life and uh, what I can see right now that the women in Ukraine nowadays Roma women they are actually the power and um, I started to be interested in psychology since few years and uh, what I can see that nowadays uh, men in general but Roma men of course uh, because they are not excluded from this concept, uh, they they are in a big trauma, unfortunately, because uh, all what's happening in all the world and uh, well, talking about equality, uh, even though we are talking about equality, but Roma men have to go to the front lines, and women uh, actually have choice, but they don't have that much choice, and this makes them really vulnerable oppressed and uh, they understand that they cannot support their families as they used to do it previously and some of them lost really their jobs and women are taking a lot of stuff on their shoulders right now they have to feed families they have to take care of uh, kids as they did before but now even more to protect uh, uh, mentally and physically as well and also women are taking kids and going abroad uh, fleeing yeah. the countries and talking about the Roma uh, that it's such a big um, loss when family are separating because even uh, coming back to Second World War when in Auschwitz and concentration camps we know that the barracks were divided into uh, male barracks, females and kids uh, but uh, in Roma case, uh, barracks with Roma people, they were all on the same territory. So even for, even for Nazis, it was dangerous to separate families. So I just want to make this parallel and show how it's essential for families, Roma families, to be together. And now that they have to be separated, yeah, it's, yeah. it's a big loss. But also, I think, like, maybe uh, exactly this hardship and basically surviving through the same horror and challenges, and especially for those families, Ukrainian families that get separated, this experience that we're living together through, it also kind of opens up a lot of people's eyes who had prejudices uh, against some of the minorities before. Because in this kind of life or death situation, um, you clearly understand that things like that do not matter at all. And, you know, the only thing that can unite us is basic acts of humanity. And I uh, love the stories that uh, uh, you guys uh, post uh, in English as well on ARCA, Younger ARCA website. And one of the stories that I actually remember still stays with me is about the Roma family from Mariupol and how they survived through a blockade, Russian fascist blockade, uh, amid horrible situation, amid like lack of food or just, you know, tens of thousands of people died there. 
But this story is so powerful because it shows how, you know, Roma men were risking their lives, trying to get food for everyone in their, you know, in the basement or the uh, house they were living in, Ukrainians, you know, non-Ukrainians, Roma, non-Roma. And I was wondering to, I mean, you got to, everyone else, you got to check that story. I also pinned it to this uh, conversation, but Wanted to ask you if there is any particular story that about Roma Ukrainians that also kind of stayed with you uh, in recent weeks. I know there are so many, but maybe something that always kind of exp- inspires you or, you know, uh, helps you to continue and move on. Yeah, just uh, when you were telling this, I recalled uh, a case uh, that actually pushed us uh, to start working in humanitarian uh aid uh, sphere so when the war began uh, in february i still was at home in my hometown in the house of my parents and i've got a call uh, from uh, my friend from herson and uh, she told me that right now in their house around 30 people hiding on the in the their house on a basement there are Roma, Ukrainians, and people of other nationalities, everyone who is living uh, close to them, so their neighbors. Like, they were hiding there because uh, they had a really good basement, uh, which was protected, and somehow it was safe there. And they were calling me and uh, asking for some kind of financial help, because uh, around a uh, week, all people there were sitting without uh, uh, going uh, to shops, uh, without even um, coming up from the basement. And they ate already everything what was in their house. Uh, they couldn't uh, go to shop, but even when they managed one time, she told me to escape uh, and uh, buy some pieces of bread and uh, uh, butter in a shop uh, close by the house because everything already was sold and those days of blockade. And she asked me that they, they really need some money because they run out of money and food and they need to feed these people who are in, in their house. And she never mentioned like that there are people of other nationalities. I mean, she, she didn't make it a problem out of this. Like she said, like we're all humans and we have to feed these humans. And actually that was the first case when we sent out money and we understood that actually they are not the only ones, that there are families like this everywhere who right now helping and uh, yeah, I know. And when I was hearing her voice, my heart was breaking. I mean, I know that this family used to be very intelligent and very wealthy, but nowadays money doesn't matter. I mean, it, it's just, uh, and we are talking about families who had something before the war. What yeah. if we are talking about those families who were uh, in bad economical positions even before the war? Now they are really crashed. And uh, also talking about Mariupol, because uh, I uh, had to uh, evacuate my family from uh, Mariupol. There is my cousin and uh, nephew and uh, some relatives over there. So we couldn't manage to evacuate them for days, for weeks. Uh, We didn't have connections with them uh, for weeks. And uh, then when they finally called and said, we are moving out finally, and uh, they managed uh, to come to the Polish border. And uh, yeah, I was talking with my cousin and she was telling me, I saw so much on the road, uh, bodies of dead people, uh, Russian army just shooting in the windows of the cars and all this horror, and when they arrived to Czech Republic and uh, uh, her child, my nephew, he was really very traumatized and he's still having sessions with psychologists and uh, she's also crashed. I don't know how much time she would need uh, to recover from this. 
and most probably she will never forget it. I mean, it's a, it's a trauma of generations. It's not just, yeah. and also it's interesting because recently we had a uh, talk with uh, work psychologists uh, from Ukraine for our ARCA team, uh, because uh, in uh, July we will have some trainings for youngsters and uh, in order to work with uh, people in trauma, we had to educate, uh, first of all, ourselves how to uh, work with uh, youngsters uh, who flee from the war, who experienced all this. And we had this interesting talk with psychologists who told us uh, that this trauma that people got during the war will not disappear easily, of course, as we could see an example of the Second World War. And I asked him, so how many years we need to come back, not to normal life, but at least to, to move on? And he said uh, uh, that I will never forget uh, the mm -hmm. war. My kids will never forget the war, but I hope that uh, my grandchildren will live differently. So yeah. it doesn't mean that they will forget, but it means that they can, can live maybe freely from this psychological pressure. I think that's, that's why there's so much pressure on us and our generation that we make sure that this is last time that they do it to our people because, you know, Again, remembering my Roma granddad and his participation in the war. And of course, the rest of the family that also lived under occupation, both occupations. Of course, they were traumatized to the point that they were not comfortable ever to talk about. For example, my granddad was so traumatized that definitely he was struggling until the end of his lives, uh, end of his days. But I feel like this is heartbreaking that they were thinking the same, I think, and they were talking the same, that they survived. So we have normal lives. And so they have families and can have children. And then we just, you know, also uh, being born in, in a safer, normal world. And now basically our country is experiencing the same that they experience. And I think sometimes this is where our mission as a generation of young Ukrainians to make sure that it stops here. It stops with us. So when they say that, hopefully your kids uh, won't be experiencing anything like that, it becomes true, not like this never-ending colonial cycle that we're lived through. Yeah, talking about comparison, I know that uh, it doesn't have sense to compare, and uh, we are not comparing the experiences uh, of the Second World War and what's happening nowadays. But uh, right now, what we are doing in Ukraine that we are supporting uh, Roma genocide survivors. So we've got some uh, funding uh, from abroad in order to support the families. And now we are uh, sending out uh, and supporting families. And also we are having conversations with them. So we will have a project with testimonies in where people will talk about their experiences. And we didn't ask, but people, some kind of unconsciously, they are reflecting and comparing the both experience they went through. So there are some of Roma survivors who were hiding in basements during the Second World War, and right now they are hiding in the same basements. And how they are reflecting right now that they are comparing Hitler and Putin and talking about all this stuff. And it's just, it's just ridiculous and very sad to see that these survivors, they have to go through the same stuff. It's like, it was not enough on, during those times. Now they again have to face with this. Yeah, just very unfair. elderly when I see them and when I talk to them it's like I just what I, I wish to, to give them like few more years just to live to enjoy their life and end up it on a positive note like yeah just... I have a last uh, remaining surviving grandma and she's 92 
and uh, she's uh, she's in Ukraine, not far from front line, and she cannot and she doesn't want even to go. But this is something that we often every call we end on a note that she says like, "Don't worry, I'll keep you know I'll keep healthy, I'll take care of myself because I survived Stalin and Hitler." And I want to survive Putin as well. So this is her kind of plan uh, to be defiant and to live the day when she sees uh, Putin dead and this uh, genocide over. So they're just absolutely amazing. But yeah. we're still happy that these people are still alive and they are around us and they can inspire, inspire the youngsters. You know, yeah. they are the real example that we will survive it. It will end at some time. <laughs> And we will enjoy our lives and everything will be more or less okay. Yeah, how it can be. And yeah, all this dialogue between the old generations and youngsters, we regard it as essential. And we're yeah. trying to, and we hope that these people still will remain alive. And after the war, we will be able to invite them to our big event because we have some kind of commemorational events where we remembering and, and having commemorational ceremonies around the circles of August about the day of remembrance of the victims of the Babin Yard uh, in Kiev. And actually this year we will have the commemorational ceremony in Berlin uh, mm-hmm. because they cannot do it in Kyiv, obviously. That's why we will gather the youngsters who flee from the war and those who can leave the Ukraine right now in Berlin and make a big event there and recall all the victims, the Ukrainians, Roma, and those who um, yeah. had to give their lives uh, during those times and, and nowadays as well. What a history, you know, history has such a, you know, sense of twisted irony that, you know, we cannot do that back in Ukraine because of, you know, fascism and a war, but we can do it in Berlin that used to also orchestrate the same genocide, but, you know, so decades ago. Unfortunately, I mean, I love this conversation love having you on ukrainian spaces so much but we'll have to wrap up soon so i wanted to end um with uh, a quick our favorite quick question what it means to be a ukrainian for you these days and has it uh, in any way changed in the last uh, four months yes i think the war uh, affects everyone and uh, even though I've never been a nationalist uh, in my future, in my past, and, uh, but nowadays, uh, whether you want or you don't want, you're becoming the one. And I'm just, uh, for me, to be in Ukrainian Roma means uh, to be proud of my family, of my community, of my country, to defend it, to protect it, to help. Uh, in any case, in every way I can. If I need to speak, I will speak. If I need to help people directly, I will help. And whenever whenever it's needed from me, I will do it to protect my family from most and yeah, and my friends and Thank country you. in general. Uh, before we leave, uh, can you also maybe tell everyone else how they can support your work and support the work of ARCA, where to look, what they can do, um, especially for uh, Roma Ukrainians back in Ukraine and those who are uh, now relocated or uh, in refuge? Yes, yes. Uh, everyone can find information about our work, what we are doing on our official pages as website. Uh, UNGO Arca and uh, also Instagram and Facebook and there is uh, actually one platform that we uh, recently started uh, it's uh, Janes uh, it's informational platform uh, contemporary media that spreads uh, knowledge uh, and uh, exists for dialogue building in Ukraine and abroad and there you can see uh, already a lot of articles published uh, in where our journalists and all youngsters like civil uh, journalists are making interviews with Roma representatives who still live in Ukraine or who went abroad about their work, about their experiences. And please uh, follow us. Uh, there will be a lot of stuff published later on. And thank you so much for this opportunity being with you. 
and to make the voice of Roma in Ukraine being heard. Well, yeah, thank you. And as we tell everyone, you're part of Ukrainian Spaces family now. So at any point, if you want to come back, talk about the issues you want to talk, and uh, this is the space for you to claim at any point. So hopefully, and I'm pretty sure we'll hear you here uh, coming back and uh, in, in sometime future as well. We would be delighted to have you back. That's for sure. For sure. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Okay, okay, guys, we have to wrap up. Um, this is the message also for all fellow Ukrainians who are listening to us. Uh, you please claim Ukrainian Spaces hashtag on all social media platforms on Twitter or Instagram. Uh, you can suggest our topics and Ukrainians you'd like us to feature, but also you share your experiences and your stories. And we always love to quote them during the show and amplify uh, this is a the hashtag for you to claim and the space for you to claim. But also check our podcasts because these sessions are being automatically recorded and uh, they're uploaded as podcasts now on Spotify, Apple, CastBox, Google Podcast, Anchor. So we're expanding in platforms as well. And thank you so much once again for our sponsors from our Patreon page. We have a very engaged, cool and growing community of our sponsors. And they make sure that Ukrainian voices are getting amplified and Ukrainian conversations get decolonized on social media. So thank you so much. This is not a charity. If you consider to become our sponsor, you'll get a lot of cool bonus extra stuff from our Patreon page, but also front seat when you want to ask questions to our uh, guests, featured Ukrainians, uh, during live broadcast or beforehand. So thank you so much. For your support as well. I think this is it. Um, apart from one thing, as always, it's uh, Slava Ukraini. <laughs>